Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for inviting me to share my faith story with you tonight. I know many of you probably already heard it, um, but as Dennis mentioned earlier, I've been working here in the parish for many years, and I've had the privilege of working with hundreds of parishioners with whom I'm grateful to call today my friends and companions on an awesome journey. Um, some are here tonight, actually. I'm glad to see you. I'm also very proud to say, before I talk about myself and my own uh, life's work, that I've been married to my husband, Dana, for almost 43 years. And we have three grown daughters, Amy, Elizabeth, and Caitlin, who grew up and went to school here. And some of you know that both Amy and Caitlin also work in capacity here in the parish, too. But 33 years ago, last August, was the very first time I came to Mass here at St. Edward. And ironically, you know, it wasn't here in Night Hall, which was our worship space at the time. It was instead outside on the bluff in front of the stone altar. Um, and you know, that day, it was a beautiful summer day. I felt like I was about an inch away from heaven that day. And um, as I sat there, I, I had this really strong feeling that um, an urging kind of in my heart that in some mysterious way my life was about to change and that it was going to happen here at St. Edward. In other words, work was about to meet faith in a very big way. <laughs> so stumbling my way here without a compass, a friend, or even anything to really rely on, um, I see it as a great miracle. But going from a very reluctant church volunteer to a faith formation director didn't happen overnight. There's a lot of holy water under the bridge, as I always like to say. <laughs> like so many people, my current vocation is not really what I dreamed of being as a little girl. Um, I grew up in a very Catholic family in Minnesota in the 50s and 60s. And I was taught to be very practical and to serve other people. My mom was a Catholic school teacher, my dad was a fireman, and they were very hardworking and devout people. And they, um, they encouraged the same in my brother and sister and I. We all went to Catholic school for 12 years, and we were proud of our faith. I was the youngest of three, and I took these teachings very close to my heart. And I really had a lot of God experiences when I think about it as a child. But, as so many of people in that time, I never talked about it. We Catholics were very private about our faith in those days. We knew nothing about spiritual journeys. They were for priests and nuns. Remember that? When I graduated from high school, I won a scholarship to the University of Minnesota. Um, and that's when like, the question came up from my parents, you know, what was I going to do for the rest of my life? What was my major going to be? And that was easy. I wanted to be a stage actress. My goal to be on Broadway by the time I was 25. Now, my parents looked at me incredulously, but they didn't stand in the way. Well, they really couldn't. I was very determined. When I left home at 18 from the university, I knew that I was really on my own because, you know, kids in those days didn't return to their parents. If you left, you left. And I was determined, independent, and very motivated. Immersing myself in theater was a very big undertaking and a very scary prospect for me when I settled into college life. I was sort of lost in the sea of students and talents and the restless and turbulent times of the 1960s, the late 60s. It was a time of 
reinventing ourselves. And I did that in a very big way. For 18 years, I've gone to Mass every single Sunday of my life. One of the first things my mom made me do when I went to the U was to find out where the Newman Center was and to really to um, memorize the Mass schedule and to promise her I'd be going there. And I did go there, and I did enjoy it for a while. Until one day, in a bitter, cold Sunday morning, in my dorm room after partying the night before with my friends, I looked out the window. It was zero degrees and snowing. And I remember laying there thinking, I wonder what would happen if I just didn't go to Mass. That was unthinkable. But I decided, you know, let me see what's really going to happen. And so I didn't go. And do you know what? Nothing really happened. Some guilt, yeah, probably more the first time, but then the next week, less, and after that, less and less, because as you know, the first time is always the hardest. Slowly, the church and I parted ways, except when I visited my parents, of course, in the hometown I lived in. While I still believed in God, I suddenly became very disdainful about the institution, about what we believed. I thought, of course, at the age of 18, the church was full of sinners and hypocrites. Sound familiar? <laughs> Drifting away from all I had held sacred wasn't really that hard in the late 60s. Everyone was doing it, after all, questioning authority and rebelling. And so was I. Looking back, it was a time of dethroning God and enthroning my own ego. Fighting to become a success in theater lends itself well to this, and I was certainly very zealous about it. In the fall of my second year, while securing um, lots of other parts and trying to make my way in auditions, I was in the theater department, and I looked on the bulletin board, and I was astonished to read a flyer announcing that the U of M had been chosen by the USO to send a company uh, to 15 countries of the East and West Mediterranean to entertain the troops who were uh, guarding the NATO allies there during the Vietnam War. A semester in Europe, entertaining? Well, that was for me, because my second passion was traveling. I was doggedly determined that I was going to be on that troop. And so, it did happen. The company was small, only seven of us, a professor and six students. We did a rather, I would say today, corny, uh, traveling song and dance show. We used to always say, well, we sing, we dance, and we tell funny stories. That was sort of it. But it was four months in some of the most beautiful and exotic places you can imagine, from Spain to Northern Africa to Greece, Turkey to Iran, all the way to Pakistan and back in about four months. That's a story in itself, really. But let's just say I had an education doing that. We spent most of our time doing shows and talking to all the lonely guys stationed so far from home, and many of them really had already been in Vietnam, probably suffering from PTSD, but no one knew it, of course, at the time. Near the end of the tour, we were rather weary of their stories and offers to take us around and show us everything. So we were resistant. However, something rather curious happened to me when I was in Greece. I met a soldier there from California. 
who was as tenacious and determined as I was, and he convinced me that I should let him show me Greece and the islands. Our first date, the Parthenon by moonlight. Wow. <laughs> well, by the time I left Greece, I was smitten. I was smitten with him, with the adventure, with love, well, who wouldn't be? Even after I returned to Minnesota and the tour was over, he pursued me and was very persuasive, telling me that he believed that God had brought us together and that we were meant for each other and we really shouldn't wait to be together. That was almost 43 years ago. His name is Dana Couch, my husband, faithful friend, father of my three daughters, and the most loyal and trustworthy person I've probably ever known in my life. Even though he was not a Catholic, in fact, he had no interest in the church at all, I believed with all my heart that love would conquer all and that we'd work things out. Pulling up stakes, leaving school, and moving to California to start a home with Dana out here when I was only 21 was probably one of the hardest things I ever did. No job, no more school, no friends, no family, need I say more? And yet, California had great promise for someone like me who still wanted to make a career in theater. Little did I know how hard it would be to break into that scene out here. Although I tried, I realized quickly that being married and being in the theater were on collision courses with each other. They didn't go together. So longing to be back in school and to complete my education, I had to wait. I had to wait another year to establish residency, which I did. But then shortly after that, I was pregnant with my first daughter. I had to wait again. So while adjusting to motherhood at the age of 22, I continued to dream of completing college and tried to educate myself in the meantime by reading pretty much everything I could get my hands on, a habit I picked up when I was a child. When I did go back to school, it was part-time, and I had a completely different mindset about it than I had before. I changed my major, first of all, from theater to speech communication with an emphasis in interpersonal dynamics. Loving the educational scene, I decided I really did want to teach. I wanted to be a college professor, feeling no call at all to teach children or teens. So for the next five years, I struggled through school, part-time, juggling raising the child, running a household, working a part-time job to make ends meet, and being Dana's companion, establishing our life in Southern California. Holding things together with crazy blue sometimes, I nonetheless went through both my baccalaureate and then my graduate degree at Cal State Fullerton. By the time I finished, Dana was managing a business in San Clemente, and we had equity in our home. And so we moved to Dana Point, having always dreamed of being by the ocean. Miraculously, I landed a job at Saddleback College teaching speech classes. On the outside, everything looked like success, and yet, deep inside my heart, I broke emptiness, an existential loneliness, a restless questioning and yearning. After worshiping at the altar of education for so long, I was staring like Nietzsche into the great abyss. I wanted more for my life. I wanted more for my child and decided to allow myself to go on a spiritual quest. 
Now again, this wasn't easy. I had left Catholicism behind, married to someone who wasn't Catholic, wasn't religious at all, didn't have any Catholic friends, was new to the area. So once again, I was kind of on my own, forging my way. But while I was in grad school, surrounded by evangelical Christians who constantly witnessed to me about Jesus, I wanted to be like that too. I knew, I didn't, I knew about dogma and scripture, but I really didn't have a relationship. In the quest, I checked out their churches, but I never felt at home there. So I decided to find my way back to the church of my childhood, to the Catholicism again. And that's when I came here. Out of the bluff those many years ago, during a mass I barely recognized, I was overcome with emotion and literally felt this mantle of warmth descend on me. What was happening to me? Well, now I know it was a touch of the Spirit, but then I just knew I had never felt that way before. I needed to reconcile myself. I went to confession. I was welcomed back. I made friends with a priest that was here then, Father Matt Ryder. And he invited me one day to really think about my life. And I decided that since I said no so much to God, I was going to start to say yes. And so he called me one day and he said, can you sub for a CCD class? And I said, CCD? What is that? Teaching religion? Me? I just returned to the church and after all, I didn't teach children. So I said no. And then called him back and said, I think I need to say yes. And that was the beginning of a series of yeses. On and on again, saying yes. I eventually met Father Louis Knight, a pastor, who invited me to work part-time here on the staff. And he knew I was committed to my teaching job, and so he told me, you don't have to quit that. You can do that on the side, this on the side of that. And so that's how I started. But eventually, um, I may have started making the transition, because one day when I was driving up to Saddleback College on Avery Parkway, I realized that all my thoughts had turned to God. Everything that I was thinking about, life was so illuminated for me. I realized that I was profoundly, deeply, overwhelmingly happy. Moved to tears about it. So although I didn't know what it's saying with Edward, I came here, I, I made it, I started working here. For me, it was an easy transition to move from Saddleback College to from that career from my work to here. Saying yes to God had become more rewarding than anything I'd ever experienced. I really love talking about Jesus, the sacraments, the church, the meaning of life, the world to come, with young people, old people, well, anybody, really, anyone that would listen. I discovered work in the church had really contained everything I loved. Drama, big time. <laughs> Communication dynamics, public speaking, writing and teaching. Even after the humble beginning, the position that I had evolved and expanded today, I oversee our educational programs from preschool through adult and spend a lot of my time in prayer just listening to all the plans I know God has for this community. My main passion is for converts and reverts like me who are on a quest for deep meaning. I love teaching our CIA, working with the youth, writing about spiritual matters, facilitating retreats, companioning people in spiritual direction. So, after all that, where does work meet faith in my life? Humbly and very gratefully, I acknowledge before you and God tonight that my faith and my work were really one. 
And because I love what I do so much, I really don't call it work. Instead, I just call it being in love and serving others out of that love that comes from Christ. And that's really the greatest gift anyone could ask of life or work. Thank you. said in your comments that you see many things that the Lord has planned for this parish. Could you send, share some of those with us? Um, you know, especially in, in today's world, I, I'm constantly um, worried a lot about the future. Um, and I'll have my pulse on that. And I just feel like, um, you know, there, there is a great awakening that's taking place in the world in terms of God and spirituality. Um, but we need to embrace those changes, and we need to learn some way to continue to evangelize and reach out. And so what we're doing now here in the parish is using the Internet uh, as an evangelization tool. And, and there's so many, it's sort of like I was thinking the other night when I was giving a class on uh, church history, sort of like Gutenberg with the printing press. It was such a turning point in history for, for the church when that happened. And this is kind of the same thing, you know? We have this opportunity to, um, if, we, if we can learn about it, we can reach out to it. And so I feel every day a great urging that God wants this to happen um, and to not be afraid of it because it does have that shadow side, of course. So, Thank you. Thanks, Dennis.